camp. I'm so excited to meet everybody. What's everybody's favorite activity for camp? Are you all excited? I'm excited. I want to go on the zip line. What about you? What's your name? Is this like, is, am I supposed to be like, so it's just the same cold open as the crown of candy revisit? Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I, I only have so many life experiences to draw on here, Devin. <laughs> I am, but I am, but one woman. I'm going to be honest I've with lived. you. I forgot that I did this cold open uh, back in the crown of candy episode. So, you did. Um, yeah, you, did, you did this exact cold open that we talked about. <laughs> and you know what? It was funny the first time. So why wouldn't it be funny the second time? Jokes only get better the more you tell Jokes them. That's the law of comedy. Jokes only get better the more you tell them. That's comedy, baby. Speaking of comedy. They what? say the definition of comedy is doing the same thing over and over again. And, <laughs> and expecting the same result every time. <laughs> The MCU, but anyway, anyway, welcome everyone to Original Podcast Do Not Steal, a weekly podcast where in every week Amber Autumn and I discuss all of your favorite intellectual properties at length and create an original character within that space. And the origins of this podcast come from Amber Autumn and I being great friends, going on long walks, talking about how we'd handle X property. Amber, what would you do if you got Ghost Rider? Things like that. But sometimes those conversations would get a little more esoteric a little more out there like describing a poster and i kind of want to hearken back to that for this episode so we're going to get a little self-indulgent because what i want to do today is specifically i want to ride that kind of wave that happened in the suicide squad episode where you said this comes from the particulars of us like synergizing and creatives that's not what my suicide squad would look like and that's not what amber's suicide squad would look like but it is what ours would look like so what i want to do is I want to, like, mishmash two of our favorite genres together and just kind of see what comes out. So today, I want to see what happens if we take the sentence body horror in a high fantasy setting and just see what we come up with. This is sort of like the Necromancer episode, right? In the sense of uh, it's not like a specific... Um, uh, or or the, the, the Bugs episode, where it's kind of just like a, a much more a broad concept that we yeah. are uh, making an original character in, where it's just like sort of um, fantasy horror, which is um, absolutely a, a pretty rich like subgenre that already exists. People have been doing body horror within fantasy um, uh, for, for ages. We've all seen Princess Mononoke. And I, yeah, I mean, I, I obviously am such a body horror girl. Um, I, I love, I love a good bit of body horror. So I think that, um, I, I'm, I'm excited to do that. This is the first time learning, but by the way, Devin didn't run this by me beforehand. This is me learning about this live on air. Yeah, because there's one thing eagle-eared listeners know, it's that Amber Autumn is a body horror bitch TM, and that Prince Devin can never get enough of high fantasy. I will never be poisoned on the well. So I figured what the opening runtime would be would just be, I guess, talking about why these are sub-genres we're both so fond of, and then, you know, just do the do the create bit, where we mash them together and see what we can come up with. So Amber, uh, why do you like body horror, and is it because you're trans? <laughs> I'm so proud that I didn't bring it up first this time. Um, <laughs> obviously, it like sort of is a cliche to be like, "Oh, I'm trans," and that like gives me like a new perspective on bodies, and um, uh, it makes me like interested in the subversion of bodies, and the it gives me more perspective in the ways that a body can fuck up, right? Because when you um, uh, do something like transition. 
obviously that can inspire a great deal of interest in body horror. Um, I really, I think that, I think that that's probably not a fully true, um, uh, description of what makes that, like, such a, a common phenomenon. I do think that a lot of the, like, interest in body horror that you get in trans spaces is about, like, social environments and, like, um, a lot of people in the spaces are interested in it, so you get a lot of, um, you know, people who are into what their friends are into, um, and, like, there's a long and storied history of, like, queer horror, and so I think there's a lot of, um, uh, queerness to be read into, into horror. I, I guess I'm, I'm saying that, like, it's not untrue to say that, um, me being trans has something to do with me liking body horror. I, it doesn't feel like it's, um, remotely, like, a complete answer, um, or even a, a predominant answer. I think that I was not really into horror, um, during, like, high school. Um, uh, because I was like, who would want to be scared? Um, and then I, I got into college and it turned out the answer was me. My, my gateway drug was Five Nights at Freddy's, a franchise that I am sure we will do an episode about at some point. Obviously, like a very, we'll say, a, a, a franchise with a very complicated legacy. Um, uh, and, and one that is not entirely unembarrassing to say was my, was my gateway into it. Um, I think that the, the original game has a really solid loop. That's not what I'm here to talk about. Um, I, I kind of went from there, from being like, oh, being scared is fun, to um, uh, kind of going through and devouring every other kind of horror that I could. I've been through a lot of horror phases in my life. There was a time when I was really into cosmic horror. I had a phase last year when I was really, really into aquatic horror, and I was reading a lot of aquatic horror stuff. Uh, my my big pervasive love over the years has been the weird, which is um, a, a genre category that um, it's this genre that's predicated on like the dissolution of semiotic categories, which is a fancy way of saying um, shit gets strange and unusual. You have animals and objects blurring into each other, things that are combining with other things in ways that they are normally not meant to combine. Um, and obviously that means like a lot of, uh, it means a lot of cosmic horror, it means a lot of body horror, right? When you have people who are turning into mushrooms or whatever. And um, there's like so many, so many good instances of this. I think like that last one, Matango 1963 is a movie that I'm gonna go back to when we, whenever we do the Godzilla episode at the, you know, finale of season three or whenever it is that we do Godzilla. Um, uh, cause it's, it's directed by the guy who did Godzilla is this, he did back this movie like 10 years later about these like castaways who find themselves on an Island, which is like a metaphor for Japan. And there's like this fungus on the Island, uh, and like no other food. And the like message from previous people who have been ruined there is un like undeniably do not eat these mushrooms. Don't do it. And of course they like start to eat the mushrooms one by one. And as they do that, they like turn into, um, they turn into mushroom people. And so this is like. This is, I would say, weird horror in film um, in 1963, um, and like the literature for it, like goes back beyond even that. It's not a, it's not a new genre, and obviously, turning into a mushroom monster has a lot of body horror to it, right? This is one of the elements that I loved about The Last of Us. We had a whole Last of Us episode, and I fucking love the like mushroom monster elements of it. My my friend who is currently in the other room across from me playing board games right now, um, uh made me like a, she crocheted me a little, um, a mushroom, uh, last of us, a fungal, uh, clicker. Um, uh, I named him Gomar and I love him. Uh, he's wonderful. I, I, 
I'm, I'm so rambly because it's difficult for me to form a cohesive thesis on what makes body horror interesting to me, and the reason that it's difficult to come up with a thesis is that it's not one reason. There are a hundred reasons why we love to be scared. We love to be scared because endorphins are fun, and it, there's like it's like fun to have adrenaline shot through your system. We like to be scared because, um, like obviously there is like a memento mori and like this psychological element to it. We like to be scared because it helps us resolve our fears into like a manageable space. Um, uh, we like to be scared because it helps uh, as be like a, a communal experience. It can bond us to the people around us. Um, and I also think like there's some amount to which I like body horror, not for re being scared reasons. I think that a lot of body horror I am not actually frightened by. I think very often when I'm experiencing body horror, when I'm like playing the zone or whatever, like my predominant emotion is like, oh fuck, that's so cool. I would never want that to happen to me. I, I don't I don't really have like a thesis on why that is. I really I'm curious about it within myself. It's not like an I enjoy seeing it happen to another person exactly, but there is something sort of um I had I had one time this um uh uh this 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 girl I was dating who was really into body horror as well posed like this question of like um how would you most want to decay? Um, like, would you want to decay, like, are you in a forest and worms are eating you? Are you in, like, a, uh, like a, like a dry canyon and, like, the wind is blowing over you and you, like, mummify before anything else? Like, this was, like, a, like, a, like a question that got, like, a whole group of, like, friends involved with it. Um, and I don't, like, I think there is something in that conversation that really does speak to the heart of it, of, like, the, the body is, um, like a thing that is so familiar to us and yet like very viable, right? And like, it's a very elastic object. And I think that there's something both poetic and beautiful as it is horrible about imagining a way that a, a body could um, become other than how it is. Hmm. Okay, neat. I don't know if any of that was informative or uh, illuminary at all. Illuminary, illuminatory, illuminative. Yeah, I think I think illuminary is the right. I think that's the word. I could I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure you you hit it right the first time. So um, so your turn. Um, I expect a, a speech that's just as long and just as thought out for high fantasy. Let's go. Yeah, pretty much. So the thing I think is interesting is what I what I came to when I was really self-diagnosing right doing some introspection on why i like high fantasy and i'm not gonna say anything that's like intellectually satisfying because it's just cool <laughs> it's just like it's 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 the cool it's it my favorite cool. shit like, it's just part cool. of it yeah like fucking what's cooler than holding arcane magics that have brought the universe to 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 be in the palm of your hand and using that to slew an army of goblins it's just the raddest shit i see high fantasy and the the button in my brain that goes this is this is the coolest thing ever like it happens like star wars is a science fantasy, right? It is like functionally, structurally, Luke, a farm boy, goes off to be a wizard to fight the evil Ur wizard and the Dark Knight, who is his dad. That's a fantasy story, but like, because the trappings of it are sci-fi, it's not as cool to me as like He-Man. 
like, it's just like I don't know. I got like I think more than but like even more than just like the trappings are dope as fuck. It's so much fun whenever I'm like like I jump into a fantasy setting and I know there's gonna be a part where we meet like bipedal dragon men and they have their own customs and culture and language and that's so fun to get into it's such a like lore is so much more interesting to me when it's sci-fi when it's about like fantasy races and just like having the conversation of like how your magic works like it doesn't always change but it can always change like our wizards conduits for magic is it something that naturally flows through the earth is it something that they master is it something that they're bringing here is it tainting the world is it enriching the world there's just like so many trappings that have all been played in various ways and it's a wonderful mix and match of like the things you care about in a fantasy setting will be brought to your fantasy setting and are you doing something new are you doing something classic it's so much fun and i love it i love it when orcs show up orcs show up and i'm like this is the best <laughs> this is the best shit ever it's so cool like there's warhammer and warhammer's rad and it has so much lore warhammer 40k is fucking awesome but there's warhammer fantasy and i don't actually know a lot about warhammer fantasy but it's the fantasy version of warhammer which makes it cooler cyberpunk red versus Shadowrun. Shadowrun is cooler because there are orcs around it is that simple for me it's just cool it's just aesthetically rad like it's either it's either cultural or it's like just like a product of how you were raised and what stories you were around growing up um like you could have like arcane powers that destroy an army of goblins and you could also have like you know uh an, an, an orbital laser that only you control with the power to destroy a thousand you know aliens and why is it that the goblins one is cooler to you this is weird because like i grew up in both a star trek and a lord of the rings household but i just I think there is some of it to which we're going to have to talk about, like, the the race of it all in a literal sense. <laughs> because, like, fucking gully dwarves. Not getting into gully dwarves right now. High-key racist. But, like, Tannis Half-Elven, his whole thing is he is a mixed kid, if you could not tell from the fact that his name is literally Half-Elven. And, like, I, it's easier now to find stories about being mixed and having a, a strange relationship to your racial identity. Uh, but before that, for me, there was like Balto and Tannis Half-Elven and Dritz, who is like high-key racist and stuff. But like you can, you can do like race stories that are far enough removed from like the real world to where it doesn't give me the ick personally. And like, yes, I've read the articles about how, like, the, like, high fantasy is tainted because Tolkien did racial determinism and, like, it's bad that, like, every D&D &D book, like, you can point to and say, well, orcs are evil because, like, because of their race. But, like, I don't know. I never gave a shit. <laughs> it never fucking... Because it's, cause it's lore. Like, it's not real. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not going to have a lot to contribute on the, the, the race conversation, you know, versus you here. Um... Uh, I think there is something interesting you said in there that I want to jump on, where you talked about how 
it's strange that you found fantasy cool because you grew up in both a Lord of the Rings and a Star Trek house. I do want to point out, you know, all the love in the world to Star Trek. Um, Star Trek isn't, like, cool in the way the Lord of the Rings is cool, right? Like, Star Trek is about, like, um, like, people experiencing, like, emotions and ethical dilemmas and thinking their way through things and doing, like, bureaucracy. Um, and Lord of the Rings is about people swinging big fucking swords and having huge-ass battles. Nobody has a huge-ass battle in Star Trek until, like, 2008. I mean, like, maybe some shit happens in Deep Space Nine, but, like, tell me that it is anything like Helm's Deep. Maybe there is something to, like, the fact that, like, as much as those are both things in which impossible things can happen, like, the tropes of fantasy are much more about, about great and remarkable feats by great and remarkable men, um, which is, like, a very, a very cool thing. Yeah, I think there's this bit Michael Swain came down with where, like, sci-fi is ideas-based and fantasy tends to be, like, character-based, and it's... I, I made this tweet forever ago, but it's like, the reason I gravitate towards fiction books as opposed to, like, books on, like, philosophy and ideas is because, like, I'll read that, and, like, one of the ideas will have stuck with me. But, like, I read anything, even, like, a book I, I'm not in love, like, I'm not in love with Wheel of Time, but those characters are going to exist with me forever. It's it's the difference between you and I being, like, top up and bottom down. Like, I <laughs> I start with characterization, and fantasy is all about, like characters and their big emotions right it's not about like positing an idea like it can't be but like that you go into sci-fi with the assumption that you're going to be positing like ideas and thinking hard and you go in the assumption with fantasy like you're going to meet some characters you want to stick around with you know so here's what i want to know about our, our horror fantasy we're making a horror fantasy here do you have an intention for what medium it's in are we making a horror fantasy movie are we making a horror fantasy novel? What are we making Ooh, here? I didn't have any thoughts on the, the specific type of media this would be. That's I think interesting. That's, that's very important to tell me what we're doing. I do love a fantasy novel, but I am literally talking to someone with a film degree. Or do you have any immediate thoughts? I think of the two, I would either want it to be a novel or a film. Great. I love I love both novels and films. Um, I've read and watched a lot of them. I'm I'm happy to roll a die about it. All right. Yeah. Let's let's be us and roll dice because we love TTRPGs. Do you have a die on you? Do I have a not in my? Mm, I can go. All right. I'll be right back. I'll go get some dice. All right. So Amber, we opened this episode talking about Crown of Candy, and uh, now I'm gonna pull out my official Crown of Candy dice set. Um, what dice do you want me to roll, buddy? And how are we determining it? Um, uh, roll any die. Odds is novel. Evens is film. All right. I got a d20 here. Let's go. I got a twelve. So that's that's film. All right. We're making a movie. That's great. The Princess Mononoke reference in the beginning was apt. So I think a thing I've latched on during this conversation is me being like, I like it because it's cool. And you talking about how like there's a certain joy and like excitement of like that's that's like the, the spectacle of it. Right. And we can meet those. Right. Like, oh, like, for sure. what if oh, it's absolutely. what if. What if it's kind of rad body horror in a way? Absolutely. Okay, so uh, here's what I want to start with. What is the coolest shit in fantasy? 
Is it dragons? Are dragons the coolest shit in fantasy? Is it big swords? Are big swords the coolest thing in fantasy? What is what? What's the thing that most makes you go, oh, fuck yeah? The thing that most makes me go, oh, fuck yeah, is human-sized thing at the bottom, like, 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 small within the painting, looking up at an insurmountable beast, probably a dragon, right? Because dragons are fucking dope. And holding the sword over his head and screaming indignantly because I'm gonna mount these insurmountable odds. You're such That's a fucking berserk fanboy. I am! <laughs> it's, my, it's the best story ever written. I love berserk so much. God, big swords are cool. Fucking... Uh, there's a reason when magic from X-Men went from having the soul sword be a sword made of fire to a big fuck off like Final Fantasy sword that's the sword people get tattoos of big swords are fucking rad yeah but I like the defiance the sort of never say die the, the shadow of the colossus of it all here's my first pitch there is a uh, there's this movie called How to Get Ahead in Advertising, 1983, I think. And the, the premise of the movie um, is there's this guy who is in advertising um, who gets a, a boil on his neck. And over time, the boil grows into a head. It's an exact replica of his head, and it like seems to be out to ruin his life. He just has like a second head on his shoulder. And, you know, it will not surprise anybody to learn that by the end of the film, um, the head has, has, has grown to overtake him and has become like the, the, the dominant body of the two of them. And so he has this like evil version of himself out there um, uh, and he gets, you know, fucked right off to pieces. And so my, my instinct when I imagine that and think, how could this be a scary thing? Um, my first instinct is, okay, if you want a creature that's really large and you want to be horror mode, you do like a, um, you do an Akira thing where you have a character who, like, grows up to a massive fleshy size, um, uh, unrecognizable to themselves. And then I think, okay, but you want to make the, the character who's, like, doing the standing also be, like, the the object of fear. I think that there's 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 some situation, some malady facing the world, our protagonists, whatever, um, where um, something takes over your body. Maybe I'm thinking like there's like a, a, a fantasy monster, a cool spider or something that lays its eggs inside of you. And then um, uh, those eggs like hatch and, and eat up some of your DNA and like grow out of you in a way that like, like, they look just like you, and they're, like, siphoning off of your energy, like, tapeworms, and they grow, like, it grows, like, huger and huger to, like, a huge fucked up version of you, and, like, you get smaller and smaller, because, you like, ultimately you become, like, the, like, until you become, like, the vestigial parasite that they've just sucked off of, um, at which point you just, like, pop off. And, um, I don't know, then you have to, like, defeat the giant version. It's a pretty half-baked idea. I don't really know exactly um how the aesthetics of it work but this is my my first impulse and i wanted to say it out loud before it was fully baked i like the spider laying eggs in you that made me go Ooh, yeah right the body horror makes me go Ooh. 
I think some fun for body horror in me is like watching the self become unrecognizable and that's like a lot of you know dread right so i think like becoming a larger version of you i would want it to be unrecognizable in some way like distinct from you but being birthed from you you know what i mean yeah absolutely so this is like um the spider monster whoever we decide that it is lays eggs inside of you and um uh, yeah, it starts out with just like a rash or something and then the rash starts like speaking to you in your mind and then, you know, you have these like this like spider creature who this like creature who grows out of you who looks just like you. Um, but, you know, maybe it's not like a, a, a creature who looks exactly like you. Maybe it's a creature that like is clearly like has pulled some of your have some of your DNA to feed itself and has taken on some of your characteristics. It's definitely still like an insect spider thing, but with like an insectile version of like your face um, uh, mashed around it. Um, and so and then and then you get to end up with a neat role reversal where it's like uh, it grows large off of you, off of feeding off of you. And I don't know, it's like it like feels almost goofy to me to make you get small and then um i don't know like that feels that feels kind of cutesy to me to make yourself grow literally small but then you you do have like the cool thing where you have like a spider monster who kind of looks like you has features of you trying to step on you you know squish you like a like you would a spider maybe you don't get smaller you just like waste away and these things grow to be super fucking huge. They're kaiju monsters. I don't know. Yeah, I think the the height difference. I don't. I don't think that's the part of this that is gelling. Uh, having to birth the eggs, I think, is the part that we've honed in on and agreed the the spider that aesthetics good as fuck, of yeah. it. Yeah, being being host uh, because because you're the you're the egg sack like that this spider turns you a person into egg sack and that's fucking that's a goddamn nightmare and a half. I do just want to point out that if we were doing the novel, we could describe how like the spider you that comes out has eight of your eyes. That's really like, good. In prose, yeah. and wouldn't that be fucked? That up? would be fucked up. So that can be in the you know the novelization. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'm forming half-baked idea, and we'll see Please. where we go from it. But I, I think you don't tone into, like, the literal David and Goliath, but you, like, mounting insurmountable odds. It's, like, known, because you have to know about these freak-ass predatory spiders. And it's, like, ah, death sentence. And, like... I don't know if this works for, like, a horror, but it works for a fantasy where, like, you follow the one boy who was special enough to... Be no, they don't beat it. It's a horror movie. They die at the end, but they die triumphant in a way. They go out swinging like a hero. I think that's how you get that sort of feeling that that painting would evoke of, like, swinging your sword at something bigger than you. I think using the phrase death sentence really worked for me there. I think that our premise... Oh my god, this even descends from D&D &D well. Okay, so our premise is that we have our, our, our ragtag team of protagonists. They have been um, uh, sentenced to death by, you know, the king. The kingdom has this problem with these, like, 
spider overlords. They, like, worship these spider orbs, or they're just, like, threatened by them. They're, like, they, these these spider creatures are highly intelligent and you know they're they're very parasitic we know they're parasitic they lay their eggs inside of people and that's how they grow and i think the spiders are smart enough that instead of like going out and hunting and capturing people to do each one they've threatened some kingdom and formed like a political alliance with them where the kingdom has to like send a certain number of sacrifices to them every month and largely they're doing that with like their criminals right and so our characters get arrested for um, possibly, probably some of them on like spurious charges, right? The city guard needs to arrest so many people per month in order to keep these spiders fucking happy. And so our, our ragtag team um, are thrown and escorted into like, you know, Spider Island or wherever it is. Like, like the bulk of the movie is sort of like a cat and mouse thing about our characters trying to survive, slowly being killed off one by one. So we get to have like both like the adventuring party situation and the horror movie dying off one at a time sort of a situation. And then, a yeah. A fantasy our... last girl, you say? We get a fantasy last girl who gets to like go out swinging against the giant spider. Like, hopefully... Um, like, she dies, but maybe she manages to take out the, like, system that is, uh, putting people in there. That's my, that's my premise. Hmm. I like this. I have an, I, I have an idea and I just want to see how you feel about it. What if the spider, like, it doesn't just take your DNA, like, it sort of takes the you of it all, and so, like, there's a bit where, like, goofy joke character who our main character our final girl like maybe had a crush on uh and like their back is to the camera the whole time and they're talking about this like intimate memory that only the real him could know and then surprise turn around big spider face like they take like bits of you like they take bits of your soul when they're birthed out they're like yeah they're like magic spiders it's like part of your like like they like they take your true name oh they take your true name right Ooh, yeah. Everybody's got a true good. name, and when they, like, when they come out of you, it's still the same. And like, that's like a part of it, right? We have like a character who's like a magic user, and uses true name magic. I don't know. Like, they give each other a true name as like a kill switch or something. And um, there's like a turn when we find that, like, oh my god, the true magic still, the true name magic works still, even though it like feels like it shouldn't. But no, this is like ontologically philosophically spiritually in their soul the same this is the same soul in this body yeah so that way it gets to be you know literal body horror there's some fucked up shit happening but also body horror in like a magical sense because fantasy and that's body horror and fantasy and that's the premise of the episode right there we did it guys i almost want to make spiders like a little bit more like okay giant spider is is, is pretty fantasy I think we can sketch out some details here of either like the the arena where they are in for the duration, like the setting, or um, maybe our protagonists themselves, something to make it feel more, you know, like it, like there are dragons in this world, or possibly dungeons. How would you feel about the idea of a maze made of webs? That's cool. I'm into it. The, the the reason that my voice sounds hesitant, I just I'm 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 still trying to work the fantasy angle. Yeah, I don't know. That was more just like aesthetics solving in my brain. No, it's brain. cool as fuck, and I I think we should go for it. I don't know why they're chasing them through a maze instead of like why it's a minotaur situation. 
Yeah, that is a thing that would have to be answered other than like, well, it's cool, you see. Ooh, what if instead of just going right to like the, the execute, like our characters are being taken to the execution pit um, and they stage a, like a jailbreak and like because one of them happens to be like super magical or whatever, they manage it and they get out and like people don't often get out. And so they've managed to not go directly to the feeding pits, but instead have ended up somewhere that they are not supposed to be. Maybe the... Um... Ooh, okay, I have an idea. Um, so, like, the spiders made a political treatise with the kingdom. And what if part of that is, like, the spiders were smart enough to, like, entrap the kingdom within a larger... Like that, that's where the maze is, right? Oh, fuck. And part of what the spiders give you is like safe passage through the maze that only they can navigate. Like, is the entire kingdom like inside of like, like the, the, like the context of like basically a giant, a giant spider cocoon? Sorry, wait, I had, I had a, I had a car going back. Let me do that again. That's fucked. I love that. Yeah, that's some nasty shit right there, brother. That, uh, that, uh. <laughs> This pitch keeps making go, oh, uh, and that way the body horror does. I think we're getting it. And so then you get to, like, have the moment at, like, the climax of the movie when they, like, burst to the other side and we, like, see the outside world for the first time, right? Like, it's just like, oh, this kingdom has been in this, like, like, enmeshed in this circle of spiders for as long as any of us have ever known. As long as, like, the history books go, we don't know what's outside of there. Yeah, we get to change the color palette for the first time in the film. So I often find horror doesn't work unless you care. Like, I like the new Evil Dead quite a bit, and a lot of that just boils down to that they put in the work to have you give a shit about this family. So do you want to spend some time with our cast, get to know who we're going to be losing to these spy to this legion of spiders? <laughs> I did it! <laughs> <laughs> the legion of spiders! Yeah, I do. I want to find out who our, um, our, our adventuring party of, what, probably like six people is? Six is probably a good number. Yeah, you know, you have one to get killed off just immediately. Yeah, well, you don't kill them off immediately. You kill them off at the end of the first act, right? It's the it's the act one to act two turn. Is like somebody fucking dies, and you need one person to be the final girl, and um, the 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 remaining four can get killed off. You know, probably at the midpoint, at the end of act two, and like two other ones during act two. I imagine just like at 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 various points. Ooh, can our final girl be a dwarf? Yeah, let's have. Because then you get a like the size thing. Girl. Ooh, yeah, that's really good. Yeah, I'm just gonna list off some uh, some ideas of ever characters. I'm thinking human thief who here is like is like one of the people who's here because they like broke a law, but also like this is not a punishment. <laughs> they should be suffering. You got a wizard man. You got his orc girlfriend, and they're the ones who like are the second last to die. They think their love is gonna save them, but it won't. I wanna I want a lizard folk of some variety in here. Because we're doing high fantasy stuff. Oh, you know what would be cool? What if one of these motherfuckers was a centaur? That'd be sick. I don't know what. I would just like a centaur fighting spiders? That'd be cool. And then you get a fucked up spider centaur? Yeah, oh, spider oh, centaur, oh. Yeah. oh, oh, God, I said that and I don't like it. Oh, oh, God. Oh, <laughs> fucked up my own head, man. <laughs> okay, yeah, let me, let me, let me, let me fill out a couple of these people even more. Uh, our thief is the reason that the jailbreak... Actually, the combination of thief and wizard is the reason the jailbreak happens. The thief is the one with the plan, and the wizard is the one who um, uh, actually supplies the like the magical firepower needed to do it. 
um, yeah, our thief is like a, um, like a, a, a petty thief, never done anything like a, a big deal, but you know, they're hungry right now. I think they are a thief. And the thing that they are in jail for in this instance is definitely just them picking up like a coin off of the ground uh, that somebody else is like, hey, that was my coin. And she's like, no, I found it on the ground. And like, that's the reason that she's in here now. And she has done thieving and therefore can get them out. She just didn't do anything wrong on that instance. Our, our, our human wizard and his, um, uh, his orc girlfriend I think that the human wizard um, absolutely did genuinely kill someone on accident. Um, and the, like, orc tried, his, like, wife tried to take the fall for him. And instead they both ended up going. Uh, they both got sent away on accident. And I think that he is, you know, doing his whole racked with guilt thing. And, like, has, like, this look of desperation about him. And she is doing the, like, super calm, super collected, absolutely seems like she's going to be the final girl situation um, until she isn't. I think our centaur is a cop. And they um, have sent a gajillion, jillion people to their deaths with this spider. They they did something. They, they like, wanted to walk away from the life. They didn't like it anymore. And in exchange, um, they got framed for something and sent in. Um, because people needed to find a reason to send somebody in. And um, Dwarf Final Girl, um, I think, is... Tell me how you feel about this. What if they're kind of like the the Whedon-esque, quippy, fun one to be around? I kind of was thinking that. Like, you really expect, you really expect that character to die pretty quickly. Uh, but she doesn't. Um, she makes it to the end. Um, and I think that she does that by like keeping her spirit alive. I think that um, uh, she's the one who never lets the jokes die and people will tell her to calm down with the jokes and she doesn't do it. Um, and like in the end, people are like giving up and she doesn't give up. And that's the thing that gets her to the end there. I like that. Do we want to cast any of this? Yes. Zan McCorran? I'm saying that name wrong. Uh, he was in Dark Winds, Reservoir Dogs, Doctor Sleep. I know him as the, the, the sexy gay vampire from Castlevania Nocturne. I want him to be the wizard. He's just got such a distinct voice, and he carries himself. Like, he can do world-weary, and you kind of want that, like, 100-yard stare out of this wizard who did kill someone. I just think it would work. I also just think this guy should get more work. I think he's real good. I think he's a talent. I think obvious and predictable, but it is the right call. Um, I do want Michelle Yeoh as the orc. Yeah. It, yeah, right. that works. Yeah. Sometimes you just do the obvious one. Can Charlie Cox be the centaur? Sure, Charlie Cox is the centaur. Let's do it. We've created so many monster fuckers out of this. <laughs> We've created a new Mr. Tom. <laughs> Ooh, fucking who plays Kate Bishop? Um, uh, uh, Haley Steinfeld. Can Haley Steinfeld be our final girl? I like that. And then I would like to pitch for our um, thief who gets us out of it, Riz Ahmed. I don't know who that is. Um, uh, you would know him uh, certainly as the guy who lost his mind in Rogue One, but then they forget that he's losing his mind, and it's kind of dumb. Um, he's a, it's a bad movie, oh, but uh, he's yeah, a good actor. Yeah, yeah, 
<laughs> we, 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 for season one, we talked about the things we kept coming back to, uh, and for and for this one, I, the thing we keep shitting on is Rogue One. <laughs> it keeps coming up. Yeah, I'm down for that. I like this. Uh, we didn't give anything to the lizard folk. They're this probably CGI or heavily prosthetic, and I want them to be voiced by Peter Dinklage. I like that. He's good. We like Peter Dinklage. Yeah, Peter Dinklage rules. Everybody say, she, see, she came to me this year? What a great movie that nobody liked or saw. Anyway, um, <laughs> great. So we have our, our what, what is, okay, what is his thing, lizard guy? We know nothing about Lizard Guy. I kind of love the idea that you don't ever get to know anything about Lizard Guy. You know, just one of them. Lizard Guy's like... the enigmatic character. <laughs> Who's the first to die? Do we want it to be the thief or the centaur? It feels like it's got to be the thief narratively so that um, uh, our like we have time for like the cop reveal to happen or breathe a little bit more. Like that's just a more interesting character. And it feels like we need to give it more time i'm like worried about um uh killing off one of our i don't want to have the first, first right yeah i yeah <laughs> I don't that, feel good about I'm, that. Not, I'm not in love with that yeah i don't i don't feel good about that one either in which case maybe it does need to be the lizard person because because we, we just kind of said you don't learn anything about him and i did kind of picture the lizard person as like the we're all gonna die man like the first one to just fucking like oh what, nope <laughs> i quit fuck this then i think it does have to be the centaur the centaur dies first, cause, cause my thought after we said lizard man can die first was that the the centaur gets killed by the orc lady, Ooh. like once like the reveal. I like that. Um, yeah. So just um, a couple of little more bits about this movie. You know, in the third act, our characters make it out. Obviously, these spiders like like they like their reproductive cycle. They lay their eggs in people. And then the parasites that lay their eggs inside of people grow up to like have some of their features and stuff and their soul, and their true name, and so on and so forth. Um, and then, I don't know, the the body of the old, the old husk of the old body gets discarded. I think that, you know, at the, the climax of the movie, they manage to get out of the, the cocoon that surrounds the city. And, you know, you're like expecting to find like a world out there. And instead, the thing that you find is like all of these cocoons um, uh, situated in, in a giant spider's web that like spans out in the cosmos, right? Like it's all in space and all that there is are all of these like masses encased in cocoons that the spiders have, have broken up and are, are feeding off of. And I think that like, um, I don't know, in some way the, the remaining bodies that we, you know, we're not necessarily paying particular attention to, the bodies that just get discarded. I don't know if we see that those are being fed to spiders or if we find that like the outer segments of the cocoon are like composed of the body i don't know what we do with the bodies something's got to happen with the bodies i don't know that i love this idea but my immediate thought was like the bodies are being strung to make like the web that interconnects the cocoons of like all of the civilizations that are trapped you know great um uh, i think that's a start follow-up it's not entire bodies that are doing that right it's like it's like bits. It's viscera. Tendons are being extended in that way, and not like recognizable bodies. Yeah. But like maybe the cocoons are covered in like skin, for example. Ugh, gross. 
Yeah. Do right. these spiders speak English? I think yes. They take other people, right? They take other people's souls and their language. I think that um, maybe like first generation spiders, for example, can't. But if a spider has been has been has grown from inside of you, then yes, it can use your language and maybe even your voice. Yeah, like when you break out and uh, you see that the wider world is just a cocoon, and you see like the old one spiders, they're just speaking like yeah, and you're like, oh fuck, yeah, what exactly? <laughs> then our our final girl gets to um, like old one spiders bearing down on her. What she can do is she can cut the tendons. Her like final quest can be cutting the tendons that are like holding the cocoon up to send the cocoon crashing down. Uh, maybe her cocoon, maybe like the central cocoon where the elder spiders are like building whatever it is that they're building. And they obviously, you know, they bear down on her and she doesn't survive. Um, but she gets to have that, that, that moment of like a very literal form of destruction. I want to see this movie. This movie sounds rad. It sounds pretty good, right? I Yeah, I'd, I'd see this movie. I want to see it. Is there anything else we... Chekhov's bullshit. I'm personally drawn to a very nice painting. Okay, I have a few ideas. Uh, do you, do you have do you have a thing that drew you towards it in the first place? I just I see like the campfire scene where these group of people are like, look, we're only gonna make it out. if we make it out of this, we have to do it together, and they start opening up, and someone, I don't know, just reveals that they're like a painter at home, right? And that's like their thing they're thinking of to try to get out of here and i don't know if you ever see it or if it comes it's just that that that's what it inspired in me in the spirit of that being a chekhov's object it seems to me that if that character is a painter then the spider spawn that ultimately comes out of them wait which character is it that you're thinking is a painter hmm which it... i didn't have anyone attached to okay it. well if we have a, one of the ones who isn't the final girl um whoever it is uh the, the, the spider spawn that comes out of them um, uh, also makes paintings. Um, like maybe, like probably for an unclear purpose, right? Our characters are not necessarily sure why this spider spawn is painting things. If it's like doing it for fun, if it's like a piece of instinct that's left over, if it's doing it to taunt them. Um, uh, but it does like replications of the other characters' paintings with the other characters like like any other character's image, um, but I don't know, wrong somehow, or foretelling the other character's deaths, or where all of the characters in the paint, all the humans in the paintings are swapped out for spiders. Oh man, I love that it takes like the painting of him, and you never figure out if that's like just race memory. To like the 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 not knowing of why it is drawn to painting is so unnerving. That is a success right there. And I think they were, like, extremely happy pastoral paintings. I think they were paintings of a better world. I think I think the character sells it to us that way. I think the character says, like, I, like, felt crushed by the world that we lived in, and I wanted to imagine a better world. And so I have these all these paintings of a better world. And the spider spawn is recreating all of these paintings. Um, uh, but instead of, like, people frolicking in them, it's spiders frolicking in them. Mm, mm, there you go. Yeah, because it's, it's a better world for the spiders. For the spiders, right. 
I think it's the York. I think it's Michelle Yeoh. Mm. Well, I think that this is this is good enough that we could come back to it at some point. In the interest of not making this episode run for three hours long, um, I'm not sure that I need a whole lot more for to to understand the basics of what our movie is here. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely feeling this, and this is definitely one we could. I could we could flesh it out later if we wanted to. Yeah. to. And we don't have to ship it. That's uh, you, you don't. No we shipping don't at this time. We, don't uh, we should do yeah, no one fun fact stuff. a piece, however. Ooh, one fun fact a piece. In the introductory, um, like the first act, when we are getting to see like this world as just like a high fantasy world that exists, and the people exist under this oppressive regime, but you know you understand that there still are dragons to slay and. And, and bands to fight and quests to be had. Um, one of these characters getting arrested, like maybe it's the, the, the thief picking up a coin on the ground in the bar. And in the scene in the bar, um, like every single extra is a, a friend or family member of someone on crew. Like they had a day where they just like invited everybody out um, instead of getting actual extras. They were just like, nah, it's a quick scene. Um, uh, you should show up for a day. You can be in the movie. Um, yeah and so and so it's just chock full of it's just chock full of of crew and cast friends and family cute i think the poster does the like small thing against a large thing but it is our final girl dwarf holding a lantern very dimly lit and they are being uh beset upon by an enormous spider that they don't that is just out of eye shot it's absolutely. right behind them absolutely fuck yeah that's a good poster all right, and that, ladies and gentlemen, germs and others, is an episode of Original Podcast Do Not Steal. Come back next week when we spend time not talking about Gem and the Holograms because we'll actually be talking We're about... We're going to be talking about Bright Falls. Um, I know you don't know what that is. Uh, it's a book series. So don't worry about it. Um, you're going to learn about it next week. Uh, my name has been Amber Autumn, she, her. And I've been Prince Devin, he, him. Our theme music has been by Kyle Alicia, whose work you can find at hollerib.bandcamp.com. Um, uh, please feel free to give us a like, share, comment, uh, whatever else it is that you do. You know, ding the bell to get notifications when our videos go live. Um, uh, and head by our merch store, um, where we will be selling um, uh, 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 mushrooms that you definitely shouldn't eat. 